0: Mike Greenberg brings his unmatched depth of sports knowledge, fun and entertainment to ESPN Radio weekdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Time, regularly joined by the biggest names in the game, covering all angles of the sports world. So check out Greeny on ESPN Radio or listen to the podcast version of Greeny wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Films latest documentary, 144, executive produced by ESPN Radio and First Take Her Take podcast host, as well as current WNBA player Shanae Ogumike takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the WNBA postponed its season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the league set out to play a condensed season entirely in a bubble where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. 144 will premiere May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. The film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after its premiere. Cannot wait to watch that. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me.
1: I'm Christina Hunger, and my current dilemma is how to... Set up our bathroom that we're remodeling.
0: Okay, so I'm actually in the process of trying to redo both the downstairs powder room and the guest bathroom in my house. So I'm right there with you. And it's weird because it's such a small space, but it feels like overwhelming somehow to make the big decisions. Uh, But if you haven't checked out, there's this website, house.com, two Z's, H O U Z -Z Z.com. And I'm kind of obsessed with it because there's a get ideas page and you can click on any room and then limit it by size or color or style and see like all these different variations and looks um, of of different rooms. So I would start there, kind of get an idea of what you want to do. I'm considering something sort of wild for the powder room downstairs. I feel like it's a small room, guests are gonna use it when they come over and it's a fun place to do something a little bit different and surprise people. I spotted this incredible wallpaper at an empanada spot Or empanada Empanada How do you say that? Whatever Down the street from me In Chicago And um, it's got Like Jordan Nikes It's wallpaper With Jordan Nikes But it's very like Almost like washed out Looking With this I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it looks like it would fit in a really fancy library. And then if you got closer, you'd realize it's it's Jordan's. Um, I need to find it. I am determined to find it. If any of you has a beat on the Jordan Nike's wallpaper, the place doesn't answer its phone right now because it's going through like um, a sale, uh, like an ownership sale. So I will give you an update if I can track it down. And for you, uh, Christina, Howes.com. Start there.
1: That's what she said.
0: I'm so excited for you all to hear this podcast today, especially those of you who haven't yet been introduced to the magic that is Christina Hunger and her dog, Stella. So her first book, How Stella Learned to Talk, just came out today. But I've known of these two for a while. I think a friend might have forwarded me a video from her Instagram a while back. And ever since, I've been hooked and dying to talk to her. Um Some of you guys know I have three rescue dogs, Fletch, Banks, and Haji. They have their own Instagram, so go follow them. Fletch and Banks is the name. Um, And I'm just an obsessive dog mom. So the idea of my dogs learning how to talk and communicate with me was just thrilling from the first time I started checking out Christina's videos. And as they keep progressing and Stella gets smarter and more communicative, I'm just blown away. So. Christina is a speech-language pathologist, and when she and her then-boyfriend, now-husband Jake, got a new puppy, Stella, she noticed a lot of, of similarities and qualities in this very eager-to-learn dog that she did in the nonverbal or limited-speech patients that she worked with. And so she she used what's known in her field as augmentative and alternative communication, AAC. Um, With the patients these like iPad like boards and screens with buttons with various words to help communicate and she thought would that work with a dog knew that there was a dog out there that had learned a thousand words and wondered if they could learn the words would they be able to deliver them back if they had some means to do so so she started putting buttons big buttons that the dog could hit with her paw Uh, for words like water or outside by the water bowl or by the door. And eventually Stella started using them to tell Christina and Jake what she wanted. And now she's up to 50 words. She can put together sentences. She can express happiness and anger. She can really communicate what she wants and how she's feeling, which is like magic. If you're a dog owner, you you know how amazing that sounds. So it was really remarkable to talk to her about discovering this, the possibilities ahead, the idea that maybe our companions want desperately to communicate with us by talking back instead of just. Uh, understanding and hearing words um, so her Instagram is at hunger for words with the number four you can go check out a video t- or two before listening to the pod because the visual is much better than just the audio but if you're driving or something or you can't get to it right now here's a little of what it sounds like when Christina is having a conversation with Stella when you hear that sort of robot voice that's actually Stella pushing a button on a wooden board uh, with her paw and the buttons are sort of spread out and attached to the board so she can remember where each one is this is a conversation that Christina had with Stella, explaining they couldn't go back outside right away. And she kind of brought it up as an example when someone asked, like, do you ever basically disagree? Or can you can you ever say no to what Stella wants with the buttons? You're
1: happy, Stella? I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you're happy. Stella is happy. Watch, watch, outside. Okay. Want more outside? We just came in from outside. I'm gonna make dinner. Christina make dinner. Then play outside. <laughs> Go outside. Go outside again later. Outside. outside. Later. Later. Outside later. Christina make dinner now.
0: So it's much better when you can actually watch the video. Um, And there's so much more to appreciate about Stella the Talking Dog and the possibilities um, for you and for your pets and the great research and training behind Christina's techniques with humans and dogs that led to this breakthrough. And um, you can find out more, too, at hungerforwords.com. In the website, four is spelled out. In the Instagram, it's the number four. Um, And then the new book, How Stella Learned to Talk, uh, you, can, you can read there, too, and order buttons and watch videos and teach your own dogs. I'm teaching mine now. So before the interview, I wanted to read this quick little excerpt from the book that really kind of moved me and made me think of this as much more than just a really fun or cool thing with your dog, but um, a connective tool that could open up much more important doors. So here's something that Christina writes about just following the instinct and the intuition and the curiosity she had with her dog because of the work she was doing with her patients. Language is often viewed as the last barrier we have from the human to the animal world. What happens when that barrier dissolves? We realize that we're all connected in more ways than we could even begin to comprehend. We're not as separate from animals as many think we are. We all think, we all feel, we all have opinions, we all communicate, and we all want to connect. I'm a firm believer that our beliefs about the world shape our own individual experiences. I challenge you to think in terms of possibilities instead of problems. Ask yourself what if it does work? What if the results are even better than I thought? I challenge you to look at the world through the lens of untapped potential everywhere you turn. I challenge you to follow your curiosities, no matter how wild or unlikely they may seem at first. I challenge you to let go of all the excuses you can think of for why something wouldn't work and hold on to the reasons why it could. At the start of any pursuit, you have no idea what it could become. And I especially love that for the ideas of our, connective, um, our connections to animals and other parts of our world, um, but also the idea of, you know, what could be next? What have we always assumed because of what came before um, that we knew enough about or knew the answers to? And how can we start searching for bigger, better, newer answers to unite ourselves with the rest of the world, with each other, um, and all that stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. So regular listeners will know that I have had all sorts of people, Hall of Famers, Saturday Night Live cast members, musicians, and I don't know if I could say I was quite looking forward to any as much as this one. I've been stalking this woman for quite some time, and selfishly, especially as one of my three dogs is at my feet, um, I have so much to get to because we need to teach my dogs how to talk. And as I was failing miserably, mostly due to my own lack of patience, I kept telling myself, don't worry, you're going to be talking to Chris. Christina, soon, and she's going to solve all of your problems and the problems of everyone else out there who wants to hear what their dogs have to say. Christina, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to talk. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited too. Okay, let's get all the way back. Um, You're a kid growing up. What did your parents do for a living, and what was your childhood like?
1: Uh, My dad was a fifth grade teacher, and my mom was a social worker. I have two older sisters, so I'm the baby of the family. And we lived in Aurora, Illinois, um, great childhood, Had I played a lot of sports, um, yeah. So I'm starting to put the pieces together already
0: with what the parents do for a living. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that. So um, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, the first thing I wanted to be when I was really little was a garbage woman because I wanted okay. to keep the world clean. Then I wanted to be (laughs) a marine biologist. Uh, I wanted to do that for a while. Then starting in like middle school to high school, I wanted to do something in the health fields, but I just didn't know exactly what. So from that um, era of my life all the way to college, I was trying to figure out what sort of health related profession I would want to do.
0: Where did you end up going to school?
1: I went to college at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio.
0: That's where both of my parents went to law school. That's where they Really?
1: Met. Oh my gosh. Normal yeah. people don't know what that is. So that's <laughs> yeah. such a pleasant surprise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so what drew you to that and what did you study there?
1: Um, so I actually played softball there my freshman year and I I wanted to school in the city and I've always liked things that other people don't know about or um, are just really underrated. And I felt like Case Western was just this diamond in the rough. It was an awesome campus um, in Cleveland, which is a city that most people don't appreciate, but I just love Cleveland. So I just loved everything about it. Um, I played softball there for a year and I was just on the general like pre-health track until I found uh, communication sciences and disorders, which is speech pathology.
0: So speech pathology is um, pretty pretty varied, right? Did you realize at some point you specifically wanted to work with kids?
1: Yeah, I always have loved working with kids. All of my summer jobs in high school and every like volunteer thing I've ever done was always something with kids, um, camps and other things like that. So I knew for sure that I wanted to work with kids. Um, I didn't know about AAC, which is augmentative and alternative communication, um, teaching kids to talk using other means like communication devices. I didn't really know about that until late college, early grad school. And I just completely fell in love with that part of speech therapy.
0: As I was reading your book, um, and I did only get it two days ago, so I'm only halfway through, but the beginning is such a wonderful way to introduce everything and you're trying to understand and communicate with Oliver. And one of the this is this is one of um the the children in her coursework. And what stood out to me first and foremost as someone who's terribly impatient is that your job's probable number one requirement beyond all of the studying and master's and schooling that you have to get is just enormous patience. Has that always been a skill set of yours?
1: I think it definitely got a lot stronger with speech therapy. Um, That was, I think, the biggest thing to learn in grad school besides just, you know, what's going on with the patient and how to treat it. It's just, that patience, and it's something that my mom was so incredibly fantastic with. She's a social worker, and just the kindest, most patient person you'll ever meet. So, I had a great role model in that arena. I think um, without her influence, I think I would still be working, you know, on a lot of that. I mean, I still am, but I think mm-hmm. she was. <laughs> a really big part of how I learned to be so patient. Was it grad school that brought you out to Omaha? Um, It was my first like external placement. So we go like our last semester of grad school, we actually go out and work. It's pretty much like an internship. Um, And so I went to a clinic in Omaha there. Got it. And was grad school also at Case Western? No, I came back to Illinois and went to Northern Illinois University for grad school. Yep.
0: Okay, cool. All right. So if you can just briefly tell people the story of Oliver, because I think it's it's necessary to really have a feeling of what you do for your regular work that then
1: translates to to what happens later with Stella. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite speech therapy stories of all time. So I love talking about it. So Oliver was one of my uh, clients at the clinic that I worked in, in Nebraska, and he had autism spectrum disorder He uh, was a nonverbal child, so he used a communication device to talk. And I had just increased his vocabulary to teach a lot of new words. But week after week, Oliver just kept saying rice. And I had no idea what he meant. I tried everything I could think of. I didn't know if he wanted to eat rice, if he was trying to tell me something about his food preferences. And then he started saying all the different dinosaur names just repetitively as well. And for about five weeks, I was just going crazy trying to figure out what he was trying to say and nothing was working. He was getting so upset, uh, very frustrated with me. And our our relationship uh, was starting to struggle. We We had a great relationship, but this miscommunication was really throwing a wrench in the relationship I had developed with him. And finally, six weeks later, I happened to be in the therapy room where I didn't normally go and saw in the corner that there was a bin on the floor filled with rice and toy dinosaurs. It was a sensory bin that kids love to play in. And as soon as I saw it, I had the epiphany, this is what Oliver, had been trying to tell me for six weeks that he wanted to play with the dinosaurs in the rice bin. So um, I, when I saw him the next week, I gave him the bin after he said rice and the dinosaurs. And he was so happy, the happiest I've mm-hmm. ever seen a child in my life.
0: I love that story for so many reasons. Number one, because it, it very simply puts into perspective how frustrating it must be to not be able to communicate fully um, to the point that it would take six weeks for both of you for something that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's another story you tell about a boy who gets an increased vocabulary and immediately runs And is able to, instead of just say down, gets to say downstairs and then go to the door and say, this is where I want to go. And this is what I want to play with. And to have that sort of sitting in your mind, but not be able to tell the people around you what you want or need results in sometimes those tantrums or displays of displeasure that aren't acting out so much as they are, I'm at the end of my rope and nothing I'm saying with this screen is doing it. Let me see if I just get angry if you realize how frustrated I am. Um, And all of those things are useful for human beings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But also then later in in translating to understanding dogs and misbehavior and communication with dogs. So it also had me very stressed um, about all the dogs that no one is talking to. I know that dogs are not the same as children. Mm -hmm. uh, But do you think that most dogs, knowing what we know about how smart they can be as service dogs or when you train them and you take the time, do you think that most dogs are very frustrated all the time with not being able to be back and forth in a conversation?
1: I I would have to think there is a level of frustration or just, you know, those times where you see a dog whining like crazy and you cannot figure out what they want. I mean, We had a dog growing up who I would say was a very happy dog. I would say most people probably think their dogs are pretty happy, but there were times when she would just be standing right in front of us, whining like crazy. And we had no idea. We would try letting her out. We'd try playing with her, you know, nothing would do it. And she would just keep whining. And now I think about that and just wonder what was going through her head. You know, she was hearing all of these words, every day and understanding them, what was she trying to say to us?
0: So you end up getting a puppy named Stella. Uh, This is wonderful for many reasons. One is that you weren't initially looking for a puppy and she sort of happened into your lap, which presumably gives you more time to work with her. And also you get a fresh, clean slate, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, And you start to notice because of your immediate obsession, which I don't blame you for um, with this new dog, that a lot of the signals that you're trying to, to give her in teaching her are a lot of the ways that you interact with the kids you work with. So what was the sort of epiphany moment of, let me see if the work that I do with humans might work with a dog?
1: It was just after seeing, like you said, all of those similarities and her communication skills and these um, pre-linguistic skills that toddlers show right before they start talking, I just... I couldn't stop thinking if Stella can understand words and if dogs can understand words, because there's been so much research showing how many words dogs um, can actually understand, you know, she should be able to say them then. That's, you know, language goes both ways, understanding and using. So if she just had a way to say these words, would she be able to? And as soon as that question popped into my head, I couldn't, see anything else. I couldn't think about anything else. I just had to try it. And that's why I've literally ordered buttons four days after I brought Stella home. It was just, <laughs> it was so powerful in my mind that I, I had to know, and I didn't know if it would work, but I just had to try
0: you mentioned a dog in the book that knew over a thousand different words for every single different toy. Um, so it is clear. And, and we know that dogs can understand specific words and not even just words, but but concepts and the idea of what those words mean to them, people they're going to see, places they're going to go, et cetera. Um, but that next step, for whatever reason, no one had ever taken before. And that was shocking to me, too. Like, of course, I had never seen this into your Instagram, but I also hadn't really gone digging for someone trying to teach their dog to dog. <laughs> it's, it's wild to me. And maybe someone did think of it and they, they never ended up successfully doing it or they didn't write about it. But um, the idea that you started researching and couldn't find anyone who had tried to think of a meaningful way for them to communicate back. And I guess most people would get stuck at the idea of, well, they can't talk, right? (laughs) You know, some people teach their dogs how to sound like they're saying, but that's Mm -hmm. not actually (laughs) words. Right. Um, So it's such a fascinating thing, how your work background and specifically your work with those AAC devices, which sort of look like an iPad with buttons for words. Right.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly the difference between verbal speech and language so with my job it was imperative to know that speech is not the same as language speech is just one type of language and there are so many ways that people can say words i mean people use sign language people use gestures you wave at someone and that you know means hi or bye there's you know people type and write and there's just so many ways to express language that There had to be a way that Stella could as well.
0: Yeah. And I think for whatever reason, a lot of people, they sort of stop short of whatever they've seen or heard animals doing before, and that's sort of where their imagination ends. But for you, those cues, and you write about them in the book specifically, the idea that if someone's talking, that they turn their head and watch, that they make eye contact, that they can focus. One of the most interesting things I learned about dogs a number of years ago is how how strange it is for them to understand what pointing means that mm-hmm. that was developed because of their desire to be the best companions and continue to interact and be symbiotic with their owners. Um, for most animals pointing to something, they look at the finger, not where the finger is pointing. So right. the idea that you can both be focused, What what is that, that you
1: called that? Joint attention.
0: attention. Yep. Joint attention. Yeah. You got it. Um, both be looking at and focused on the same thing is really important to understanding what you're trying to communicate to each other. Um, so you decide to work with Stella. You get the buttons. Um, this was an important part of the book for me and my dogs. Is that it took you about five weeks, and how much of that time was her seeming uninterested? Because I will say I have three dogs. Two are probably pit bull mixes. One is probably a cattle dog mix. Not uh, the other half like Stella it looks more like a. a Or other things are mixed in there. But um, one of them was afraid of the buttons making noise. One of them tried to eat the buttons every time. And the other one actually paid attention, looked at them and used his paw. And that was like day two. Wow. So yeah, now Stella's a puppy. And so mm-hmm. you hadn't had much time. So by this point, I've had years of interacting with my dogs and connecting. And they, we we have conversations without them speaking back. So right. they know that there's a reason for me to be like staring at these buttons and trying to get them to do <laughs> something with them. Um, but that's kind of where it dropped off. But that's my lack of patience. So I'm reading and I'm saying, OK, f- five weeks of really just continuing to press them and use them in every time it makes sense for outside water when the water bowl needs filling, play when she wants to play. Um, How did you figure out or why did you decide that it made sense to praise her for any interaction with the button, but never using something like a treat, which is usually the way we train dogs?
1: Yeah. So I really wanted to teach Stella in a way that I would teach children. So that was, my big question was, can she say words, but also What would happen if I used speech therapy techniques to teach Stella? And so my rule of thumb whenever I was working with her was, is this something that I would do to teach children? And I would think about it and then decide you know, what to do with Stella. And so if you think about teaching kids to talk, you would never, if they said ball, you wouldn't give them a fruit snack. You would go say, yay, let's play with the ball and get a ball and start playing with them because you're teaching the meaning of the word and the power that that word holds. So you want to give the buttons and the words power and show, you know, what it means when you use them. So I always just use this natural reinforcement of the, the appropriate response to the word. And then just showing her that I was proud of her and excited that she was exploring the buttons. And that came from working with kids who use devices. i saw firsthand how long it can take for kids to understand that this device is meaningful. And this is something that I should explore. So anytime a child was even just looking at the device or would just push a button randomly or just touch it or do anything with the device, I would get so excited because they were taking a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah. I mean, it all makes sense as I'm reading it for sure. Um, and why did you decide that it didn't make sense to move her paw so that she would understand? And does it matter if it's a paw instead of using their mouth to press it?
1: I think I, I have seen some dogs use like their nose to press it. So I think whatever's easiest for the dog, for Stella, um, it just happened to be her paw. So that's what she started and that's what I followed. But yeah, I never took Stella's paw to push a button because again, that's something I would never do with children. I think it seems like it would be a good idea for teaching them faster. But in reality, there's no way that you can force a person who's using verbal speech to talk by pulling a word out of their mouth. You just can't do that. And so I wanted to give Stella the same respect that I would for any person with their words, and let her, you know, explore it at her own pace. And also, go through the stages of development that happened before she actually pushes a word. So, or pushes a button to say a word. So like with kids with verbal speech, they babble, they say things that you don't really understand, (laughs) they try to talk, and then eventually they get to the point where they can say the word on their own and everyone knows what they're trying to say and it was intentional. And so AAC users need to go through the same types of development to you know try to hit something and they miss it or they're pushing around and exploring to see what happens so i just didn't want to take all of those steps away because i know how crucial they are in developing uh, the ability to say words intentionally
0: yeah and, and something you mentioned off the top there's giving her the respect to learn the same way and that's a huge part of this is the presumption of competence right you have to assume that the dog is smart and capable and can do this in order to roll out all these steps and be patient enough to trust that it's going to work which Early on, you admit you didn't know if it was you even backed mm-hmm. off a little bit for a stretch because you were like, OK, I've done this for a couple of weeks and she seems wholly uninterested. And then all of a sudden, out of the out of the blue, she's like, all right, I get this. I'm into it. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, I'd like a word. What is your
1: favorite word? Oh, my favorite word is Inspiration. Okay, inspiration. Good word. And I loved
0: learning about it because um, it's from 1300, meaning immediate influence of God or a God, especially that under which the holy books were written. So from Old French, inspiration, inhaling, breathing in, or from late Latin, to blow into, breathe upon. And inspire in Middle English was also used to mean breath or put life or spirit into the human body, impart reason to a human soul. The literal sense act of inhaling from the English from the 1560s didn't mean one who inspires others until 1867. But I love the idea of being inspired literally being the equivalent of someone breathing creativity or strength or hope or power into you. Inspiration. Great word. Speaking of great words,
1: you gonna to learn today.
0: The word of the week is the word of the week came from listener at Joey Monzo on Twitter. Orbisculate to accidentally squirt juice or pulp into one's eye as from a grapefruit when using a spoon to scoop out a section for eating, or to accidentally squirt the inner content from fruits, vegetables, and other foods onto one's face, body, or clothing, or onto that of a person nearby. Now you will not find orbisculate in the dictionary yet. It has a great story. Here's a bit of it from a CNN.com article. Quote, when Neil Krieger was a college freshman at Cornell University in the late 1950s, he was asked to make up a word for a class assignment. Orbisculate was born. Krieger, who later became a research scientist and started a biotech consulting company, loved the odd word so much he used it with his two kids and his wife. Unquote. So I kept reading. Neil used the word so often that his kids grew up thinking it was a real word. And he died in April of COVID. Now his family is trying to get Orbisculate officially put into the dictionary to honor his memory. They've even created a website, Orbisculate.com, with a list of 50 goals to help get the word in different places, books, screenplays, on the radio, to try to increase the likelihood it will enter the vernacular and eventually be made official, like so many other words that have been added in recent years. And here's another quote from the story. After reading all the headlines and seeing line graphs with death tolls, Jonathan, uh, one of his sons, wants people to remember that those who have died from COVID-19 deserve to be honored for how they lived. Quote, it's important that we don't let it be this number and that we cut through that with the things that we remember and want to share with the world about people that we love. And that's what keeps them alive. So in a sentence... I told my friend I was squinting because the orange segment I just scooped out had herbisculated into my eye, when in fact I was tearing up over the heartwarming story of Neil Krieger's family and their unique quest to honor his memory. Great one. Thank you, Joey Monzo. Well, that's what she said. Now let's get back to the interview. So, How do you decide um, whether to put in most of your videos now, you have one big board of buttons, but in the book, you talk about having a button by the door for outside, a button by water for water. Um, When people are starting out or in general, what's the best practice to have buttons near the things or one big board?
1: That's a great question. And I think that's something that will become clearer as more people try both paths. So if I could start over again, I would 100% try starting with a board. With a bunch of different buttons because now I know what's possible. But I do think it was helpful for Stella as a puppy to have them so close to their respective locations because, one, her attention span was so fleeting that, you know, if she were to say a word or I were to model a word and then we had to travel across the house to go to it, I think that might have impacted her learning speed. But also, I think, um, just starting with more words is more helpful as well, because there, if you're modeling more words throughout the day, your dog will see, you know, you using the board and using the buttons more often. So I think um, it really depends on the dog's age, even just the setup of your home. Like we were in a house at first and then moved to apartments where the buttons were, you know, spread around our apartment, but they were all still you know, within one room or two rooms. So I think if you do start with having them near their respective locations, make sure your dog really gets the hang of it before you move them to one board and expand communication that way. That's what I did with Stella, which obviously it worked out in the end. But I do wonder if starting with a board um, would have kind of kickstarted her learning even more.
0: Yeah, I started with so some of the information online that's uh, Christina hunger adjacent, but isn't directly from you suggests, for instance, starting with just one word, which I'm reading the book and thinking now I'm starting to rethink that. So I'm going to I'm going to introduce a couple more. Um, But also, I tried to start with a board all in one place. And I do think that, especially because I'm in a house, and we have three levels, and the third Mm -hmm. level has a door to go outside to the patio that we have to open. The, the, the downstairs has a doggy door. So my dogs don't have to ask to go outside and they don't have to ask. They, they, they like walks and walk means something different, but we don't mm-hmm. have the urgency that you had with Stella, which is I need to go to the bathroom. I know what the rules are. So you need to open this door for me. And right. that's a really easy one to start with. So we can't start with outside the same way, but they mm-hmm. do need us to open the door to the, to the outside patio on the third floor, which they love going on. So I want to put a button there. Mm-hmm. But they're probably not going to do it downstairs thinking right. about the third floor. They're going to do it when the sun's coming in and they're like, oh, my gosh, get me outside, get me outside. <laughs> um, same with the water bowls in the bedroom versus downstairs. Like if I put them there and they're empty, it's easier than let's run downstairs and hit the button and then come back upstairs and show you what I'm talking about. So I think right. I'm going to start by moving some to those places and then also mm-hmm. maybe have some in the area that we're usually just hanging out in. So if any number of those things come up, they can still communicate um, near us. Um, but that's, that's interesting that you would potentially start them in one place. I did think though, some of the examples you gave of Stella's early learning, um, especially come, which is something you would never think of teaching a dog. Um, you'd think as long as they know to come to me, I don't need Mm -hmm. to come to them. They can always come to me, but there were moments where she wanted you to come to wherever she was in the house in particular, um, especially to look at something or if she needed help with something. Um, and that would feel, Maybe necessary and and to have a couple buttons in places, like maybe just a come button in places outside of where your main board is.
1: Definitely. Yeah, that's a a great option as well. And all of the points that you brought up uh, that, you, you know, how you're thinking about setting up your buttons for your dogs. I think that was my whole goal with the book was to help people make these decisions, you know, on their own, because there's not one path that's the going to work for every single person, for every family, for every dog. And it's the same with kids with devices. There are so many different ways to set up a communication device and so many um, different systems that work for some people, but not for others. But, you know, giving you the tools to make those decisions for yourself and see what's working and what could be changed, I think is so important. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about words to give Stella in the beginning. You mentioned come. It was funny. That was one of the first things I wanted to teach her because I was thinking, well, we always tell her to come. Why can't she tell us to come? So all of those decisions that I was making was I wanted to have a two-way street with communication. If we could tell her something, she should also be able to tell us, which is why I added a no button pretty early on too. If we could tell her no, I wanted her to be able to tell us no which has definitely happened quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, that was a
0: fascinating part, too, is I think it makes sense and it feels intuitive to start with requests, like something mm-hmm. that they need, because you already know that they're used to using some other way of, of telling you, whether that's pawing at a bowl or pawing at a door. But the idea of introducing things like come or buy, where it's not necessarily it's not necessary for her to say goodbye to you. But if she right. wants to, because you say goodbye every time you leave, then why not open up that communication and make it more whole?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One other thing is the the eat button. So I always joke, we were joking, my husband and I about what specific things each of our dogs would most ask for or say if if they like had one button and one is just I love you and over over and over. One is just dinner over and over. And we're not (laughs) sure about the third. He's more of a mystery. But you said that you were surprised that she didn't end up requesting eat all the time, which I also was I was like that. I don't buy it. And then you said dogs don't stand next to their bowl and ask for dinner repeatedly. They know when they get it and even though they would if you gave it to them they're not sitting there demanding it. And so they wouldn't do that with a button either, which is pretty
1: wild. Definitely. That that was a big, like a pivotal moment in my thinking about her communication was, you know, I, I kind of realized at that point, I was thinking about Stella in a way that society has led me and most others to believe, you know, super food motivated, which yes, is true, but that's not all that dogs are. And that's not how she communicates with other forms of communication. So why would I expect her to just say, eat all day long if she could? And, you know, now she says, eat like clockwork every morning and every evening for dinner. And then um, sometimes in the middle of the day, if she's wanting her treat that we give her when we leave or something, but it's never been a repetitive, just give me food sort of situation, which I thought was pretty cool. You mentioned
0: the no button um, and her use of it, but on your end, let's say they do, because sometimes my dogs give us the dinner signal at six and dinner is at seven. You said mm-hmm. you wanted the eat button to help dictate when when she wants to eat instead of it being on your schedule. Um, do you mm-hmm. think, first of all, and I know you're not technically a dog trainer, but you are now, um, is it okay <laughs> to vary that if it feels like they're extra hungry at six to give them dinner at six instead of staying on a pa- pattern? and are there times when you just say no? You say no to (laughs) outside or play or eat or anything else, and does that discourage her from using the buttons?
1: So first, I would say it's absolutely okay to go by what your dog says instead of the schedule that you guys have created. That's what Jake, my husband, and I have done as well. We realized she's actually ready to eat a lot earlier than we thought she was, so We moved up her dinner a little bit and now she asks at the same time, you know, each evening for her meal. And then there are times when we say no, we say no quite a bit. She asks for outside all the time. So she's not super (laughs) um, repetitive with the eat, but outside, I think she would live outside if she had the Mm -hmm. choice. So we absolutely, we say all done outside or outside later or no outside. And sometimes it'll go back and forth a few times. And then if I give her another option of something to do, like let's play with your toy inside, or you can lay on your bed inside, she's more likely to accept that message and pick something else to do. Whereas if I just keep saying no, then a lot of times we'll still have that, you know, outside, not right now, outside, not right, right. now, um, back and forth dialogue. So definitely giving options. Um is something I would recommend, and that's something that I would do with kids, too. You know, if they wanted something that I just couldn't do at the time, I would try to problem solve and figure out something that they could do instead of just shutting down all of their requests.
0: So how did you know when to start filming and when you're just sitting at home, if she looks like she's approaching the buttons, are you just like, oh, quick, let me pull out the phone and see what <laughs> she's going to say?
1: Yeah, I didn't start really filming until probably like eight or nine months into our working together because it was just something that I was doing on the side for fun. And it wasn't until then, until I started really seeing this potential and wanting to show people how she was communicating. So I definitely um, increased how much I filmed her. And we've We've gotten so good at recognizing her patterns of when she'll probably say something and how she even just how she's walking into a room. Now I can tell if she's on a mission to go tell us something or if she's just going to do something else. But um, came with a lot of practice of figuring out how to capture those moments. And we did for a while have a camera just set up all the time because it was so hard to catch. So that was really helpful as well. I noticed that a
0: lot of what you explain um, is super helped by your background, figuring out what she means and in interpreting her early use of buttons. Um, for instance, there's a video where Stella says outside, and you say, Yep, there's noises outside. You can hear people outside. And then she hits look about five times. I would think that my dog was like just messing around. But for you, <laughs> it was like like the patterns of a toddler
1: early on yes yeah so i think that's something that has been crucial is just knowing these stages of language development knowing what happens you know alongside if she shows one milestone what also might be happening at the same time and knowing what to look for otherwise it, and just how to teach these words too and how to know if she's understanding them and using them appropriately or if she's still exploring. So definitely understanding the patterns of language development and what these different words could mean when she's using them has been imperative.
0: So when she said, look, 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 that was her basically saying, I really want you to go outside and figure out what the noise is. I'm very adamant about this. Like I'm frustrated that you're not responding.
1: Yes. Like, look, come on, let's go look and see what's going on outside. And the fact that she was in a pretty heightened state, she was kind of barking and looking around. And um, the fact that when she was, you know, in that heightened state that she went to her words to communicate with me, that was super impressive because she didn't have to think too much about what to say. Otherwise, if she did have to really think hard about what to say or how to communicate this with words, she would only be able to do it when she was really focused and calm. But seeing her use words so automatically when she was so amped up was really telling that this is becoming you know, pretty easy for her and se- more second nature than it had been in the past. Can you talk about how you got to stuff like happy
0: or mad? Because feelings seem like they'd be so difficult to get uh, a dog to understand the concept of but the way you say it in the book is actually quite simple.
1: Yeah, it is. It's way more simple than I think a lot of people would think. It's just observing when your dog is already happy or when your dog is already mad and putting words to it. So everyone, I think, who has a dog can tell when their dog is really happy or when their dog is pretty upset with them. So it's just taking those instances where your dog is already demonstrating you know, the meaning of that feeling and narrating Word so anytime, for example, if we had to say no to outside several times and Stella was whining or stomping her paws or you know frustrated with us, I would just model mad Stella mad repetitively so she would have that association between when she's feeling that way, she's hearing the word mad, and those words or that word goes with what's happening at the time. How often does Stella say mad? Um, actually, not too often now. She went through a phase where she was saying it quite a bit when she was, if she didn't immediately get her way with something. Uh, but now, I would say a couple times a week. And what about happy? She just said happy yesterday, which was really sweet. Mm-hmm. She was, um, she was playing outside for a long time and came in and said happy outside, come outside, play. She wanted to keep going outside to play more, but I would say she's uses happy and mad about the same frequency.
0: Um, You mentioned earlier the, when it, when, when it comes to the eat button, how she's pretty good about asking for breakfast and dinner and sometimes a snack. There was a great video, which again speaks to you having the understanding to interpret what was happening that usually you go to work, and on your way out, you give her a treat. But because mm-hmm. you had stayed home, she didn't get the treat. So then she essentially said, "Stella, mad, <laughs> Stella, you know, hungry." And and you were like, most of us would be like, "Okay, listen, greedy. You had your breakfast. You're gonna <laughs> wait." And then you put together, "Okay, this pattern that I am used to, um, she's used to as well, and knows what to ask for." That's that's wild.
1: Yeah, it's it's so much about observing what's happening in the environment and understanding your patterns and your dog's patterns to know what, you know, the words she's saying are meaning. So I put that together pretty quickly because that was the one day that I stayed home and I know every day I give her a treat as I leave. And so she said, mad, and then Stella, eat, eat, eat. And I'm thinking, oh, duh, you know, I'm here. I haven't given her the snack that she normally... (laughs) Kids. So she's mad about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so um, when you try to teach, I love you, it's funny because the buttons, my sister got me buttons for my birthday, which was really exciting. I didn't know that you could just go find them. I was like thinking you had to make the board or something. And all of the ads and all of the videos are like dogs telling their people they love them which is like the best way to sell them because that's all we want to hear it's <laughs> our dog just telling us that they love it how did you teach that and it is is it as simple as just saying when you're telling her you love her usually you're smothering her with scratches and kisses and so that's an easy emotion to try to teach them
1: yeah it's you know very similar so anytime i would verbally say love you to stella i would also model it with the button, which is what I would do with any of Stella's words. As I was saying it verbally, I would also say it with the button so that she you know, heard me say it and saw and heard another way that she could say it if she wanted to. And so I just modeled love you in all the contexts in which I was naturally giving her praise or when I was proud of her, rubbing her belly, giving her scratches, or any time that she was showing a lot of affection to me or my husband. So if she would come up and kind of snuggle with us, you know, I would say, Oh, love you. Or if she came up and was licking us and, you know, sitting by our feet, I would model that as well. So, um, you can model it as you are, you know, saying love you. And then when you're noticing your dog showing you the affection as well, just putting a word to that. And so it's been interesting to see how she has evolved her use of love you, I think, earlier on, she would use it um, in more of these affectionate types of situations. And she still does that. But I think she's also using it kind of like, please. So if we say no to something, (laughs) (laughs) she will come right back and say, love you, right before the word that she had just said. So, which is just hilarious to me, because I never modeled that. (laughs) So her understanding of you know, using it in a different way is is so impressive. I mean, that's just like so human.
0: Like good vibes, good vibes, kisses, hugs, snuggles. Okay, now will you help me with this, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the help button. Um, your example is a great one. I was trying to think if I was going to teach my dogs help, what would what would they think? And the one we often have is a piece of food that falls below the couch or in the back of the closet where we store their food bins and they can't get to it. So their answer is, let me scratch up the floor right below the door to let (laughs) you know that something's in there and I desperately need it. So that would be a great place for the help button. Um, But you figured it out from a stuck toy.
1: Yeah. So at the time, um, Stella often would get her toys stuck under the couch, just the way that our couch was. And where all of her toys were and we had these hardwood floors that she would slide all over and her toys would go right under the couch. So she would, if I was in another room, she would just be whining or barking in our living room. And I would come in and have no idea what she wanted because I didn't see what just happened. So it took a while for me to figure out that she wasn't just wanting to play. She was trying to get my attention that there was a toy that slid under the couch that she needed help with. So that's the first scenario in which I modeled help a lot. And then anything that I knew she needed assistance with, even just uh, raising the blinds so she could look out the window, I would say I would model help or going up and down the stairs. um, Like if she needed the door open to go down to the basement stairs or something like that. So anything that she definitely needed a human's assistance with I would just model help and that actually, she uses help a lot and she, that was one of her most frequently occurring words when she was younger too. Um, You guys lived in San Diego
0: for a number of years when she was, or at least a stretch when she was learning these buttons and growing up and you recently moved back to the Chicago area. And, um, I was fascinated by the video you posted where she stopped asking for the beach as if she somehow knew the beach wasn't nearby anymore and then started asking for water, but it was snow. I I love this idea that water isn't. And and she talked about water when you've, when you watered plants too. So Mm -hmm. instead of water is the thing in this bowl that I drink, it just makes you realize And we know that they're so smart, but I think we sometimes assume the the least, which is water for them is what's in the bowl that they drink. And it isn't the same as water that they swim in or bathe in or that you water the plants with. So tell us about uh, the beach and the snow.
1: Yeah. So I was really intrigued to see what would happen when we moved back to Illinois, because in San Diego, we literally lived right by the ocean. We could see the ocean from our apartment. We went to the beach all the time. And so she said beach every single day or water outside um, as she was looking out at the water outside of the window. So I was intrigued to see if she would be asking for it more because there wasn't, you know, a beach nearby and she couldn't see the water or what would happen. But to my surprise, she, as soon as we got to Illinois, two days after she asked where beach. And after that, she had still not said beach once in the months that we've lived here now. Hmm. But I wonder if it's uh, smell too. That's what I was thinking. I mean, I'm sure, right. It's a difference in, you know, how the air smells and everything, but once it snowed and she went and played in snow for a while for the first time. And she came back inside, she said water outside for the first time since we had been in San Diego so I thought that was so fascinating because she had gone months without saying water outside or beach. And then as soon as she got to play in the snow and she came in all wet, she said water outside again.
0: Yeah, that's wild to be able to think of snow as the same as as water. Um, Absolutely. You also learned. um she uses the buttons, not just with you. First of all, one of the funny times was you had people over and kept saying goodbye, but they didn't leave. <laughs> she, said, she went over the button and said bye and then went and laid yep. down on the couch. It was like, which my one dog who puts himself to bed halfway through every party just leaves and is like, God, you guys are so loud and annoying. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Um, He would probably tell our guests goodbye uh, a number of times. Uh, But then, but then her interactions with other people are actually different. And the one about love you and scratches was fascinating.
1: Yeah. So Stella loves getting scratched right. Like at the base of her tail. So she would gesture for that all the time. She would just kind of back up into us. (laughs) That was her gesture for wanting scratches there. But I realized a while ago probably almost a year ago that her pattern for saying she wanted scratches with words was to say love you come come because every time she would say love you come come I would go over to her and she would gesture for those scratches so I knew that was her pattern for asking for scratches and so I wondered what would happen if I added a scratch button so I added a scratch button modeled it like crazy and I thought it was really interesting that she still uses love you come, come when she wants me or my husband, Jake to scratch her. But when my parents have been over, she'll say scratch and go stand right in front of them and request those scratches. So she uses words differently with different people and has these different patterns, just like we all do in our communication. It's it's just so fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's wild. So would you imagine it's more difficult to do this with dogs that are older because it's easy to train a young puppy, you know, the old old dogs, new tricks uh, that many think is a fallacy? Or do you think the idea that we've already been communicating with our dogs for years makes it easier to add this element?
1: That's a great question. I honestly could see it going both ways. I've seen some of my friends have a lot of success with teaching their older dogs because they already know their communication so well and they've been saying these words for years and then once they you know show their dogs how they can say them too it's a a quicker um you know a quicker connection for the dog to make of oh i hear this word all the time and here's the word on this button that i can say but also you know on the other hand these dogs have been communicating in other ways for years so Trying to shape that into something else, it might be confusing when they've been communicating about something in a specific way for so long that, you know, it's harder to change something that has been going on for so long instead of just just starting from scratch. So I think that's something that as, you know, more and more people keep teaching their dogs of all different ages and there's more research, I think we'll be able to see some patterns emerge
0: What about multiple dogs? Have you seen people have success where they're trying to adjust and react to the teaching of dogs that may have different patterns or ways
1: of learning? I've seen just on social media, some people teaching multiple dogs and kind of talking about how their dogs are taking to them differently or at different speeds, or one dog is really into it and one has wants nothing to do with it. So I've just seen people do that online, but I haven't actually had friends um, who have multiple dogs try it, and I've never personally tried with multiple dogs. So that's another area where I think it's just going to be so helpful to have so many other people trying and teaching and kind of seeing these patterns emerge. It's such a yep. a new thing in society that you know we just have so so much to keep exploring and and discovering. Yeah. It must be fun
0: for you though, to see the way other people are trying to take the things you've, you've modeled with Stella and, and teach them. Do you follow her or watch the dog bunny?
1: Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of Bunny's videos. The one where
0: bunny, um, I think there's multiple where she tells on her dad for pooping is, uh, <laughs> is a all timer. Um, dad. I think she says where her dad is and that he's pooping, uh, which uh, is uh, really unnecessary skill, but uh, useful Mm -hmm. to know that uh, Bunny wants to call out her father for that. Um, (laughs) What about when there's some like I, I think most people with dogs will recognize this. Like there are certain patterns that my dogs have that are very clear. My one dog, Fletch, inexplicably, if possible, will only sleep or or snuggle or rest like between my legs, like so. I'm on the couch. I have to separate them so that then he can be nestled between them. He will occasionally accept lengthwise alongside my legs if that's the only place to wedge himself because the other dog is already there. But mm-hmm. if I'm sitting on the couch alone and no one else is in the way, he will bark at me until I allow the exact spot he wants to be in. This took yeah. a little while for me to understand, but now it's very clear. There are other things that he does that I still don't know, and I and. I, when when the idea is so vague and amorphous, it's hard to imagine creating a button for that. Um, for instance, slight TMI, but if I go to the bathroom, he follows me, of course, because he follows mm-hmm. me everywhere. And mm-hmm. only in the upstairs bathroom, he always scratches the wall when I'm peeing, mm-hmm. as if to okay. say, I need something right now. Because he uses Mm -hmm. his paws a lot to communicate what he wants and like literally will like move my leg over with one if he wants me to sit a different way or whatever. So Mm -hmm. if there's some random thing like that, that your dog always does, and it's repeated, so it's it's clearly something they always want. How would Mm -hmm. you even begin to like make that into a button or a communication method?
1: It's a great question. So I think in that case, I would maybe do something like come where it's a little bit more general. So you can probably figure out that your dog, either your dog wants in the bathroom or wants you to come out. So depending on your dog's um, personality, or if you've tried just having the door open and letting your dog come in and seeing, you know, how that goes. But I think um, calm could be a good one in that situation or open if you know, maybe he's just wanting the door to be open. So I think, you know, it's, it's hard to say, like, you know, it's hard to pick out the exact word for every single situation that's going on. But as you're pointing out, just knowing your dog's patterns and kind of deducing what they're probably wanting is just the best way to go about it. So even if you introduce something and you realize that that's not working, that's still a step in the right direction because you can figure out, okay, maybe that's not what they were trying to say. What else could they be trying to communicate with this? And that's what happens with kids all the time too. There's, It can be so hard to understand toddlers or babies when they're really young and they're not able to talk. I think that's something that people who either don't have kids or aren't in this field, um, don't realize is how challenging it can be to understand them and figure out what words they might want to be saying. And there's no way to be absolutely perfect. But just doing your best and trying something will help you figure out if that's what it was, or if you need to take a step back and try something different. How
0: do you keep from confusing them with similar things? So like happy might feel similar to I love you, because happy is often going to be you're, you're, you're sleeping in the sun and you're getting belly rubs or something, um, versus, you know, how do you, or does it not matter that much for certain things if there's crossover?
1: There's definitely some crossover that happens, but I think that's perfectly normal and okay because there's crossover in human language as well. There's, there's sometimes when Stella will say outside, come outside when she wants to go out. And other times where she'll say, bye, Stella, bye, when she wants to go outside. And they might mean slightly different things. But it's just cool that she has, you know, different options to express herself, just like we all do. We have so many words that mean similar things and use them for different purposes or with different people. So I think it's, it's really interesting to see when there are some of those vocabulary words that are similar. Like she has a word for good, for example. And good and happy get a lot of crossover. So sometimes we'll do something um, (laughs) that she likes and she'll get to tell us, good, Jake, or good, Christina, or good. (laughs) And there's other times where we do something that she really likes and she'll say, happy. So I don't know, you know, it's impossible to read anyone's mind. especially a dog. So I don't know if there is a slight difference in when she says good versus when she says happy. But I think it's really awesome that she has these similar words that she can choose from. How did you teach names? So just when I would say them naturally, um, you know, she, Stella heard us calling each other, Jake and Christina for over a year before I even introduced our names. So anytime I was talking about Jake, I would just model Jake with the button. Or if he was about to take Stella outside, I would say Jake Stella outside, Jake Stella outside, Christina inside. So anytime we were naturally using our names in conversation, I would just use them with the buttons and uh, narrate what was happening with our names. What about where? Ooh, where's a good one. So I wanted to introduce where because that's one of the first question words that toddlers start using. They'll say, where mommy, where daddy, where ball? I'm always wondering, you know, where things in their environment are. So I wanted to know if Stella would be able to ask questions if she were given that opportunity to learn. So anytime I would ask her, like, where do you want to go? I would model where with the button. So I had Used where in my normal vocabulary for months before I even introduced it with a button. So it was a word that she heard all the time. But I would um, ask where ball. We would go over to her toy bin and pick out the ball. Or if the blanket wasn't in sight, where blanket and go around, look for it and find it. And I was so surprised when she started using where. She was just wondering where about so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, When we would come back from the store, she would sniff our bags and ask where or if we were getting ready to leave and hadn't said anything, she would ask where, wondering where we were going, if she was coming with or not. So it's just something that I talk about a lot in my book is how whenever I introduce a word to Stella, I have a few different ideas of how it could be beneficial and how she might use it. But in every single case, she has pushed the boundaries with the word and used it in far more opportunities than I could even think of, which I I just think is incredible.
0: Why did you use, uh, it sounds like a random man's voice for the buttons instead of your own.
1: (laughs) It's actually, that's
0: Jake, my husband. (laughs) Uh
1: he's
0: like trying to do part computer voice?
1: (laughs) No, it's just how it, uh, records, but I record some of them. Jake records others because it's just, Sometimes it can be tricky to get the buttons to sound exactly right, to get the voice output and the recording um, in sync. So it's just kind of whichever one of us, uh, Jake or me, can get it to sound as close to the word as possible is just what we go with.
0: Yeah, because it feels like sometimes dogs don't recognize electronics. Like if you talk to them on the phone. They don't recognize your voice, right? And Mm -hmm. so sometimes I wonder if the buttons are difficult because they can't tell it's the same word.
1: Yeah, that could be. So I think um, how, as you've, recorded them, do they sound pretty good? Or is it hard for you to understand what the button
0: is saying? They don't sound great. They don't sound great. I might Mm -hmm. try the buttons that you bought instead of the ones, although the ones that uh, that dog Bunny uses are exactly like the ones my sister got me. And so it obviously Mm -hmm. works okay. Um, Maybe I need to be farther away or closer or, or like mess around with it a little more.
1: It does take some experimenting and a lot of trials. I mean, when I get a new button, I'm sitting there like shouting into it and just it's not a one and done sort of situation. So
0: what's the next big word or word or two that you're teaching Stella?
1: I think so now that we're back in the Midwest, and we're living in a house instead of apartments, we're definitely needing some ways to talk about other rooms in the house or even like upstairs downstairs. So that's something that just wasn't even relevant at all when we were living in small apartments. But I think it would be really helpful for Stella to have a way to talk about where she wants to go in the house or who's upstairs, who's downstairs. So I think those are some words I'll work on next.
0: Well, we are out of time. Um, You'll have to come back uh, months from now when my dogs are all as brilliant as Stella and all of this great advice has kicked in. And I presumably have acquired some patience that I've never before exhibited in my life in order to achieve this. Um, (laughs) And we'll have you do the Spanish Inquisition, which is our, uh, our little quiz at the end, but, um, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, this was so awesome. I'm just, I, as I mentioned off the top, I'm obsessed with you and Stella and talking to my dogs because I'm a complete lunatic about my, my dogs. And I can't wait to hear what they have to say and what they want to communicate, um, Tell people about the book quickly on your way out and why they should get it and why they should. I don't think anyone who has a dog listing is like, I don't know if I need to do that. I think all of us are lunatics who want to talk to our dogs. But <laughs> if you needed to give a little pitch as to why it's, it's worthwhile.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I wrote my book, How Stella Learned to Talk, because I wanted to just share this incredible journey from the idea that I had all the way through Stella communicating how she is now. And I wanted to empower readers to be able to do this with their own dogs, which is why I have takeaways at the end of the chapters and a bunch of information in the back um, that you can sift through and, and see what is relevant to you or not. But it's just so special to have a mutual communicative relationship, to have a shared language. I, I know Stella so much better because I have an opportunity to hear what she's thinking and needing. And you'll just be so surprised to hear how what your dog's thinking and just how smart they are. It's just it's incredible to have that shared language.
0: Well, we're so grateful that all of your disparate parts of your life came together to create this interest and then model for us how it's possible. Um, yeah, I'm just going to be like so annoying on Instagram once it actually starts working, like your comment section. you going to be <laughs> like, ah! I said, where, um, uh, assuming, Can't wait. Assuming actually works out. Uh, thank you so much, Christina. This was fantastic. Oh, thanks so much for having me. That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. So this is one last spot to rant about something, rave about something, tell you something to read, listen to watch, uh, pass on things from, from listeners that they've shared. And today, of course, it's to read how Stella learned to talk. Follow Hunger for Words. Let me know if you buy some buttons and try to teach your dogs. I would love to hear about it. Tag me in the videos of you teaching your dogs. It's at Spain2323 on Insta. I'll actually tell you that like so far I've had the most success with my dog Banks who's actually had behavior issues before and when we first uh, went from fostering to adopting him full time we took him to uh, a trainer and a dog behaviorist who had him for a whole month day and night because he had some issues of like biting and not liking strangers and we were trying to figure out if it was something that could be trained away or if it was permanent And because of that month where he was trained by a legit dog trainer, he is by far the best trained of our dogs, despite his behavior issues. And so when I point to the buttons and I hit the buttons and I make clear that I'm connecting, the button means I'm going to open this door for you. Um, He, within one day, started picking it up. Unfortunately, the other two, Haji tries to eat them and Fletch pays zero attention. So we're still working on it. But I will tell you that in just a day of using one specific button, to know that I can only, you know, I have to open the door for the dogs to get outside on the third floor deck, which is their favorite place. Um, Banks already started picking it up. So try it with your pets. Cats, too. Who knows? Cats, you know, I don't think they give a most of the time, so they might not be that interested in pleasing you or doing what you want them to, but give it a shot. Um, And yeah, send me videos and let me know on Twitter at Sarah Spain or or on Insta at Spain2323. Um, You can always tweet me if you have guest suggestions or questions or dilemmas to fix um, and go to the iTunes podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please. And give a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.